Last week when we finished, Nehemiah and the people were able to recognize and overcome opposition. Today what we're going to see is the necessity and need for the people to act justly. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 5, and we will see here the people, the leaders in particular, are making a, a great mistake. They are, they are not acting justly. They are not obeying the command of God because they're not thriving. Thriving is having the confidence to to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. And the leaders were not doing that. Instead, rather than living as citizens of the city of God, they were living as as citizens of the city of humanity. And there there is a massive difference between those two. As a matter of fact, In 2022, we're going to spend the entire year studying the difference between the city of God and the city of humanity. Uh, This this distinction was first made by Augustine in in his his, uh, great work, The City of God. We're going to, and we haven't done this since 2008, we're going to do an entire uh, year through the Bible. We're going to walk through the entirety of the Bible, and we're going to follow the theme line of the city of God. And there's a radical distinction between the city of God and the city of humanity. The city of God is composed of sinners made saints by grace through faith in Jesus. The city of humanity is different. The city of humanity is composed of sinners stuck in sin by their fallen nature. Now, each city has its own set of values, has its own hope, has its own purpose, which determines their sense of justice. And what you see in the city of God is a justice that does not change. It is always the same. The reason is because the hope and the values and the purpose They don't change because they're based upon the Bible and Jesus Christ. And Jesus and the Bible do not change. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible is unchanging. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There is an unchanging values. There's unchanging purpose. There's unchanging hope because Jesus doesn't change and the Bible doesn't change. That's why the the, the values, the justice of the city of God does not change. But the justice of the city of humanity is always changing. It it changes because it's, it's based upon the entertainment industry. It's based upon education systems. It's based upon government. And as, as the entertainment industry changes, as, as education systems change, as government changes, so what is considered just changes. What is right changes. And, and that's a sad state of affairs. The ways, and it's important to note this, the ways citizens of the city of God act justly versus how the citizens of the city of humanity act justly are different. Because the sources of information that drive their values, hopes, and purpose are different. Again, the city of God is based upon Jesus and the word of God. The city of humanity, it's based upon entertainment, education systems, and government. The justice of the city of God is right and pure. 
And only those who have repented and believed the gospel are members of the city of God. We know that God designed, when we look at three circles, we know that God designed all things to be in harmony. God's design was perfection. It was perfect justice. It was everything as it ought to be. But when sin entered the world, it created brokenness. And that's why there is injustice. That's why there's so much pain and suffering and hate in the world. It's because of sin. But God in his grace, the gospel tells us, God himself, what we celebrated in the Lord's Supper, God himself became one of us, lived a holy life, and died to pay the penalty for our sin. So if we will repent, that is stop trusting in ourselves, stop trusting what we can do, and rather receive what God has done in Jesus Christ, we can pursue and recover God's design. We can only do that by grace. We can only do that by faith. And we can only be members and citizens of the city of God by the grace given to us in the gospel of God. But when we are pursuing and recovering God's design, we will always act justly. Jesus says that one of the great blessings in being a citizen of the city of God is how we're recognized. Matthew chapter five, verse nine says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? For they shall be called sons of God. Those who make peace, those who act justly are recognized as the children of God. Now that word peace in the Bible, it means completeness. It means wholeness. You guys see me do this a lot when I'm talking about God's design because God's design was harmony. Sin destroys harmony. Sin destroys justice. But what God has done in the gospel for all who believe is he makes us, he makes peace with us and makes us peacemakers so that we are recognized as children of his. We are recognized as citizens of the city of God. And that's one of the great blessings of being a citizen of the city of God is that we seek to live a blessing. We seek to be a blessing. Thriving people are going to act justly because of what God has done in our life. In our text today, our text today shows us how thriving people are to act justly. Again, hopefully you're already there. Let's go now to Nehemiah chapter five. Nehemiah chapter five. God willing, we're gonna get through the chapter, but I'm gonna read verses one through nine to give the context. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And let's dig in. Nehemiah chapter five, beginning in verse one. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother." And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought, have bought back our, our, our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? They were silent, could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. 
Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Friends, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. The situation in Jerusalem was not peaceful. It was not harmonious. It was not unified because the community was not being led well. The leaders were not acting justly. And Nehemiah called them out for it. He pointed out what they were doing. And what we see in the commands of Nehemiah, what we see are the very commands of Christ. It's the commands of Jesus that allow us to be a thriving people. And so what we're going to do today, God willing, we're going to learn from Nehemiah and, and, and from the Lord Jesus himself what the God of the city of God expects of those who've been made his citizens and how it is we are to always act justly. There's four things I want to encourage you to take note of. And the first one is this. Thriving people act justly by, first of all, Keeping the golden rule. Thriving people act justly by keeping the golden rule. The leaders there in Jerusalem were functioning like the city of humanity rather than the city of God. They were not treating the people the way they would have wanted to be treated. They were treating people in whatever way gave them the advantage to gain more power and pleasure and popularity and position and possessions. They, they were not treating people with dignity. And that's what's lacking. Where there is injustice, there is a lack of dignity. Every human being has been made from conception in, in the image of God. That's why every human being is to be treated with dignity. And those who are citizens of the city of God, we treat people with dignity. And we do that by living out the golden rule. Here's what Jesus said about the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule is so wonderful. Uh, three reasons why. Just real quick. One is because it gives God glory. We, we say that Human beings have dignity because we've been made in the image of God. And because God is so glorious and great and to be feared, we treat other people with dignity. It also creates a culture of blessing because here's what happens. When I'm treating you the way I would want you to treat me and you treat me the, the, the way you would want to be treated and, and that becomes the way of the culture, there is such a great blessing because there's trust, because there's honor, because there's respect, because there's peace, because th there is so much of what only God can do that begins to be at work in a culture. And it gives dignity, not only to those who receive the action, but those who give it. See, when we, when we lack justice, we are being indignified. And we, we, are, we are showing our sin. We, we are not treating ourselves respectfully when we're not treating other people respectfully. What God calls us to is to treat others the way we ourselves would want to be treated. A few years ago, there was a woman, uh, a mom of a preschooler who was going through a divorce. She'd never been to church. She didn't know Jesus. She didn't know much about God. 
And she felt that she needed God in her life, but she was very afraid. She was afraid to go to church because she wasn't sure how she would be considered and treated being a, a single woman with a, with a child, but she went. And she decided to go to a large church. Her thinking there would be that she could blend in and she wouldn't be quite as obvious. And when she got to the church, she was surprised to hear that there was a nursery. She didn't know that. And so someone very kind met her in the parking lot and said, oh, oh, let's get you to the nursery. And so when she got there, she was warmly welcomed. The child was, was lovingly received. She saw the classroom that the child would be in. And she thought, this is going to be okay. Uh, the child will enjoy it here. And so she left the child and, and she went and she found a seat in the large auditorium. And she wasn't sure what was about to happen. Again, she'd never been to church. She was sitting next to an elderly couple and the music began and it moved her heart. As they sat down to listen to the sermon, she found herself crying. The songs that were sang that day, they, they talked about the love of God and she had no idea how much God loved her. And so as she sat there getting ready to hear a sermon, the sweet senior adult lady next to her patted her on the knee and she said, honey, you're in the right place. Now she, for the life of her, cannot remember what the sermon was on that day. But what she does remember is how that lady treated her with such dignity and respect. So the next Sunday, she had to make a decision. And she was scared and she was nervous because she thought, well, maybe that was just a weird Sunday. Maybe this is the day they yell at people like me and they kick us out publicly and, and try to embarrass us. She took her child to the nursery where the child was well-received. She went back to the same seat hoping that she would get to sit next to the senior adult lady and she did. She sat next to her and this time she knew how it would go. They sang the songs, they sat through the sermon and as the sermon was coming to a completion, she was thinking to herself, oh, I wish I could meet with this woman sometime. Oh, I wish I could, I could get to know her, but I don't want to be too forward. And so she didn't say anything. And as they were getting up to leave, the senior adult lady gave her a torn piece of paper and said, honey, that's my cell phone. Why don't me and you get coffee this week? A few weeks later, when that woman was baptized, that senior adult lady was standing with her and the pastor told of how she had been treated with love and dignity. And the pastor laughed. She doesn't remember any of my sermons, but she remembers the love that she was shown and the gospel that was presented by the senior adult lady. Friends, the difference was there was dignity given and shown. Friends, our goal as children of God is to be a blessing. We come to church to be a blessing. We go home to be a blessing. We go to work, we go to school to be a blessing. We don't walk into a room, we don't go into a space and we don't ask ourselves, well, what am I gonna get out of this? That's not what we do. Not when we're thriving. No, when we're thriving, we walk into a room and we ask ourselves, who can I bless? Who can I show that they matter to God? That's not how the citizens of the city of humanity live. They, they don't live by the golden rule. They live by what I would call the trash rule. Here's the rule of the city of humanity. Whatever you want to get out of others, treat them accordingly. So if you want their business, treat them nice. If they don't have anything to offer you, treat them like dirt. Whatever you do, make it all about you. That is the way of the city of humanity. 
The way of the city of God is, is, a, is a way of the golden rule. This golden rule way of life produces peace and unity that comes from acting justly. Secondly, thriving people act justly by living the laws of love. Living the laws of love. Now, Nehemiah got mad. And you can, I can, we can appreciate this righteous indignation. Look what it says there in, in verse six. Look in, look in verse six of chapter five. I was very angry. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And so look what he did. In his anger, he thought to himself, how do I deal with this? So he said he pulled aside, got his thoughts together, and he came at them hard. He came at them boldly. The first thing he did, look in verse eight is he spoke to their shared mission. He said, look guys, we're here to bring back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. He's reminding them in 722, the people were taken to Assyria and and, 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 in the the middle of the sixth century, the, 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 the other ones were taken to Babylon. And so now God has redeemed us. God has brought us back and God has set us free. Why in the world are you enslaving God's people who have been set free? He goes on to say and speak to their mistake, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Rescued siblings being put once again into slavery. And he spoke to their God's honor. Look at verse nine. So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? Anytime you see injustice, here's what you can know. There is no fear of God. Here's what the people who are citizens of the city of humanity think. God doesn't see. God isn't real. God doesn't know. God's not going to do anything about it. I can do whatever I want. And that's what many people do. They do whatever they want without any thought, without any fear of God. But not not those who are of the city of God. We fear God. And Nehemiah is saying, shouldn't you honor God? Shouldn't you do the very thing God has has commanded us to do out of fear? Aren't we supposed to be different and show the world the goodness of God? And then he spoke to the law. Look at verses 10 and 11. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentages of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. What's he saying there? He's saying, obey God's law. What law is he talking about? Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25, beginning in verse 36. Take no interest from him or profit. This is one of the city of God to another who's in the city of God. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. It goes on to say in verse 39, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. The 50th year, everything was to be given back in the year of Jubilee, which by the way, they never celebrated. The Israelites never honored God with that year. And that was a part of the reason why they were given over to their enemies and why they were placed into exile because they refused to honor God. They refused to obey his law and love. 
And again, the important aspect of this thriving is to be content to obey God's commands. When you're thriving, you're content to obey God's commands. You don't have to understand. You don't even have to agree. You just obey because God says it. You do it because God said to do it. And you trust the outcomes to his capable care. You know, God sent Moses to save the people of Israel because he loved them. And he gave them this blessed way of life. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but gain everlasting life. That's John 3, 16. And the same apostle who wrote John 3, 16 also wrote 1 John. And that entire epistle is is a presentation of how it is God's people are to live. And how are we to live? We are to live a life of love. It's not about rules. It's about love. Last week, I was with a a group of pastors. Tuesday through Thursday, there was 14 of us from large churches. And we were from different denominations. And that's against the rules, by the way. We're not supposed to talk to each other when we're from different denominations. That's wrong. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to hate each other. But there we were, different denominations. And we were all helping each other, talking about what we're going to do. Okay, now that, now that we're coming out of COVID, how do we lead? How do we shepherd? How do we serve? Now, we didn't agree on all the distinctive doctrines. As a matter of fact, we had a great time giving each other a hard time uh, about, about the doctrinal differences. I mean, it gave me great joy to, to point out how wrong they were in so many ways, right? And they gave it right back to me and we had so much fun. And at one point, the guy who called us all together, he just laughed and he said, isn't this great? No, we don't agree on everything, but we know that the Bible is the word of God and Jesus Christ is the savior of the world and he has saved us and we are brothers in Christ and we love each other. And boy, did we form a bond of love over those few days, talking, laughing. It was very much against the rules of denominational life, but it was very much according to the laws of love. What are the laws of love of which I speak? They're found in Matthew chapter 22. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can I tell you, until we know and experience the love of God given to us in Jesus Christ, we can never love well. Those who are citizens of the city of humanity, and that's some of you here today. You're, some of you sitting here, some of you listening right now, you're not citizens of the city of God because you've not repented and believed the gospel. And you need to understand something about your love. You have love, but it will always be imperfect. The reason why it will be imperfect is because it will always be stained with sin and selfishness. But once you've received the love of Jesus Christ, you receive a love that you cannot earn, that you do not deserve. It's a love that's given by grace. And once you have received this gracious love and you give God love in return, your love to others becomes like the love that God has given to you. Until you have the love of God, you can never love rightly. You can never live out this law to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Look at this, with all your soul, with all of your mind. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. 
It, it changes everything. When we get away from just living by rules and we begin to live out the laws of love when we love, it changes everything. One of the pastors, and this is a man I, I, I have admired for decades. I have great respect for. He shared a story with tears in his eyes. He said, yeah, I haven't shared this story. I, I want to share it with you men. He said, there was a time when my son got into a lot of trouble. And he said, it broke my heart and it made me mad. He said, that night after the consequences had been settled out with the school and all the calls had been made to all the other families and, and people involved, he said, I was still just furious. And my son was up in his room. He said, I just went upstairs and I just let him have it. He said, he said son, what's wrong with you? How many times did I tell you not to be around those kids? And, and how many times did I tell you not to do those things? And why do you keep embarrassing yourself? Why do you keep embarrassing God? Why do you keep embarrassing? And the son just fell to the ground. He's just bawling. He said, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, I mean, if I could do it back, I would do it different, but I'm sorry. He said, aren't we Christians? Aren't you supposed to pray and forgive me or something? Can we do something else? And the pastor said in that moment, he was just overwhelmed with deep conviction. And he thought to himself, how did God treat me when I was in sin, when I disappointed him over and over again? Did he just keep wearing me out or did he lift me up in his love? And did he bring redemption? And he, he felt such conviction. He began to cry. He said, son, he picked him up and he embraced him and said, I'm sorry. He said, it, I should have walked more closely with you. I, I should have limited your, your, uh, your opportunities. I, and he said, no, dad, it's my fault. You didn't do anything wrong. You and mom love me. You have just treated me the way, the way you parents should. I'm sorry. And they just, they prayed and they embraced and they laughed. And he said, and guys, from that moment on, our relationship has not been the same. He said, I went from a, having a son who kept my rules to a son who loved me. He said, when he started living out of a love for me, the rules, the rules just took care of themselves. See, this is what God calls us to. He calls us to a life of love, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when we do, Jesus says, that is going to fulfill all the law and the prophets. God doesn't want us just to keep rules. God wants us to love him and to love other people with his love that he's given to us. And I love the leader's response. Look in verse 12. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. And then look what Nehemiah said in verse 13. I also, this is big. This is, <laughs> I also shook out the fold of my garment. So he got his robe. He's like, I'm gonna show you something. He said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So he may, may he be shaken out and emptied. May God curse you is what he said if you don't. And look what their response was. And all the assembly said, amen. And they praised the Lord and the people did as they were promised, as they had promised. I, I think about what that must have looked like. I mean, picture this. A man had taken the children, the house, the, the, the land, and, and all the harvest 
from a husband and wife. And he shows up, they come home one day after working and he's sitting there and he walks up to them humbly and says, can you please, please forgive me? What I have done is wrong. This is now your house, hand them the deed. This is now your land, hands them the deed. Your children are waiting for you inside. So are all the grain, all the, all the oil, all that I've taken, plus the interest. It's all yours. I am so sorry. Can you please forgive me? Can you imagine the embrace? Can you imagine the tears? Can you imagine the relief? Can you imagine the relationship that was formed by that act of love? Now, I'm not naive. And next week, we're going to talk about not being naive. I am sure that there were some who were citizens of the city of humanity who did that because they had to. But I am also very confident that there were some citizens of the city of God who did what they were supposed to do out of a love for God because they loved God and because they loved people and they lived out that law of of love. And that's what happens. That's what happens. This way of love, it produces peace and unity that comes from acting justly. Third, thriving people act justly. And they do that by seeking God's kingdom first. By seeking God's kingdom first. Look in verse 14. Moreover, from from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years. So this is 12 years Nehemiah is doing this. This wasn't a fad. This wasn't just some passing fling. It wasn't because the newspaper were there. This was a way of life. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them uh, for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. This must have seemed absolutely amazing to his contemporaries. I mean, for 12 years, it must have seemed amazing, even to the court of the the king, Artaxerxes. What's Nehemiah doing over there? He's not taking advantage of everything he could. What's going on over there? He was seeking first the kingdom of God. He wasn't doing what they did. Look in verse 15, what the former governors did. He didn't do what the former governors, who were obviously citizens of the city of humanity. See, here's what the city of humanity teaches. The city of humanity teaches, put yourself first and get all that you can get out of others. That is not the way of the city of God. The city of God is different. The way of the city of God is the way Nehemiah lived. And and this is the way Jesus commanded. Matthew 6, 33. Here's the way that Jesus commands us to live. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Those who are citizens of the city of God, they trust God. They trust outcomes to God's capable care. They with contentment, just with with contentment. They just say, God, contently, I'm going to obey you no matter what. You say it, I do it. Last week, I was talking to a pastor who was a church planner. He shared a story with a whole group about one of his first church plants. It was just he and his wife, and 
they had, they had worked for months to get this church started and they had their first service and they literally put everything they had into getting that church launched on that first day. So they go home Sunday afternoon. They've got no money. They've put everything into that day. They've got no groceries at home and they are emotionally and physically done. And she looked at him and said, what are we going to do? And he said, what can we do? Let's pray. There they were in this city where they knew nearly no one. And all they could do is rely on the God who called them there. I tell you, within a couple of hours, a family who had been to that church that morning showed up and they'd made them a dinner. And they brought, said, is it okay? That, oh, sure, that'd be fine. Well, we, yeah, we, we like whatever that is. I can promise you. And they said, well, that's good. Um, we'll be right back. Um, we've got something in the car for you. While, while we were shopping today, we just felt impressed by, by God that we just needed to double our groceries. And so we don't know what you like. We just bought you everything that we bought for ourselves. And they brought in bag after bag after bag of groceries. So there they were eating that night. No money in the bank. No money in their, in their wallets or purse. Not sure what's going to happen in the future, but groceries for the two of them for probably a couple of weeks. The next day, two checks come in the mail from people they hardly knew. Heard you were planning a church. Hope this helps. Enough money to get them for the next two months. Friends, that's God. That's what God does. God, God blesses the people who seek first his kingdom. Let, let me ask you something. Do you want to grow in your faith? Now, I know you're in church, so the right answer is supposed to be, well, yes, pastor, I do want to grow in my faith. Really? And let me, make, let me clarify this. See, a lot of people, when they say they want to grow in their faith, what they, what they really mean is they want more information about what the Bible teaches, which is good, which is important. But that's not, that's not what will help you grow in your faith. You want to grow in your faith? Three things. Start tithing. You want to grow in your faith? Start tithing. Start giving to God what he commands that you give. You say, well, I'm already tithing. Good. Now, now tithe and give an offering to the gift for Christ. Give an offering to the sinners of hope. You say, well, I, I just don't know if I can do that. I know. I know you can't, but God can. You want to grow in your faith? Start giving financially. Start serving we need help in the children's ministry. We need help in our greeters ministry. We need help all over the place. Start serving and start connecting. Well, I, you know, pastor, I, I'm just kind of quiet. I, I just don't really like to talk to people. I know, I know, I know what that feels like sometimes after I'm really, really tired and I've talked to hundred people, but even then I kind of like it, but I get it. Some of you are introverts. Friends, there are people that need you. They need you to invest emotionally in them. That's why I want you to get in a fight club, men. That's why I want you in a flourish group, ladies, because you're needed. If you don't want to grow in your faith, if you just want to keep it academic, show up to church, do a study, don't live it. If you want to grow in your faith, this week start giving financially. Email info, info at lhbg.org. It's that simple. Info at lhbg.org. Say, I'll serve. Say, uh, I want to be in a fight club. I want to be in a florist group. I want to get connected. 
Someone will contact you this week. I'm not saying that you won't grow at all. I'm just saying if you really want to grow in your faith, start giving, start serving, start connecting. Putting the kingdom of God first. That kind of living produces peace and unity that comes from acting justly. And finally, fourth thing, thriving people act justly by giving to share the gospel. Giving to share the gospel. You look in verse 16. I also persevered in the work on this wall and we acquired no land. Nehemiah knew why he, knew why he was there. He wasn't there to get rich. He was there to serve God's purpose. Here's what all redeemed children, citizens of the city of God know. This world is not our home. We're not here to get rich. We're not here to get power and pleasure and popularity and possessions. We are here to serve God's purpose. For Nehemiah, that was to build a wall. For us, it's to build God's kingdom, to make disciples, to serve our city, to look after its welfare and to act justly in the fear of God. Nehemiah was doing this. He was giving sacrificially. He was putting it all on the line. And it gave him one of the greatest opportunities to share the gospel with the nations. Look in verse 17. Look at this. Look who was there watching him. First of all, 150 men, Jews and officials. Okay, so those were guys who were already kind of on the inside, knew the Bible. Look who else was there. Besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. These were probably diplomats who did not know God, who did not know the the Yahweh of the covenant, who did not know the way of God and his love and his law and his life. Here they are watching Nehemiah, this citizen of the city of God. And as citizens of the city of humanity, you know they were confused. Why in the world isn't he acquiring land? Why in the world is he looking after the welfare of these people instead of himself? Why isn't he trying to get power? What's this guy doing? You know what he was doing? He was showing them his faith. He was showing them his God. He was showing them his life. Acts 20.35. Acts 20.35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The blessing goes to those who bless. The blessing goes to those who live by faith. The blessing goes to those who give to share the gospel, who let other people see their lives. One of the pastors, as we concluded this week, Talked about a a guy who'd come to saving faith at his church, a very wealthy man. And he had shared that he had been saved and he'd been baptized and he invited a lot of people, including his accountant. The next year at tax season, he sat down across his accountant and the accountant said, I want it. Man said, what are you talking about? He said, I want what you got. He said, what are you talking about? He said, I didn't believe this whole Christian thing, but I'm your accountant and I see where your money's going. I see where your heart is. I want in. What's the deal? And he shared the gospel with them. Here's a guy on the outside watching the lifestyle of a new believer who said to himself, there's something different. Friends, let me ask you, 
if, if they were to do a television show, a documentary on your life the last three months, would people say, that's different? There's a lot of love there. There's a lot of sacrifice there. There's a lot of joy there. There's a lot of faith. Or would they say, yep, that's just like the rest of the United States. That's just like the rest of the Americans. That's, that's pretty much how they talk. That's pretty much how they spend their time and money, except for maybe a, a couple of hours here and there on Sunday. Friends, God has called us to more. He, he's called us to a life that is thriving. Let's look at the definition. What is thriving? Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting the outcomes to God's capable care. Friends, are you thriving? Let's pray. Father God, I know in this room, I know there are some listening who are not thriving. They can't. They can't because they're not Christians. They're not citizens of the city of God. And I pray that right now that that would be changed. I pray that right now that they would admit to you that they are sinners, that they need you, and that they would ask you for forgiveness and that they would be saved and very soon be baptized. Father, I pray for some of your children who claim to be citizens of the city of God who are not thriving because, Lord, they're not intimate with you. They don't obey your commands. They're not trusting outcomes to your care. They're manipulating, they're frustrated, they're angry, they're anxious, all because they're not living by faith and seeking first your kingdom. If that's you right now, repent. Repent. Commit yourself to give, to serve, to pray, to love, to be dignified in giving dignity to others. Father, I imagine what you could do with hundreds of people who are thriving. I imagine the families, the marriages that would be different, the schools, the neighborhoods, the city that would be different. Oh God, please help us and make us a thriving people. In Jesus' name. Amen.